We are excited to announce an important update to our community here at Hepzibah Baptist Church. We are officially launching our new church app, which will allow us to interact and keep you in the loop. Creating your new profile is easy. In just a few steps, you can register in the app, create your profile, and customize it. Using our church name, HBC Wendell, you can connect with our church family in no time. First, enter your phone number, which will automatically sync to your current giving account. If you don't have a giving account, it will create one for you, making it simple for you to give through the app. After you've created your profile, you can customize it by uploading a profile picture and background wallpaper. You can then personalize your push notification and campus settings so you only receive the information that's most important to you. Now you are ready to engage with HBC through the app. You can fill out a connection card, catch up on a recent sermon, or even pre-check you and your kids into church on Sunday. The app content comes directly from us, your HBC staff, so you're able to stay up to date on information, dates, and events relevant to our campus and its various ministries. Now that you have a profile created, giving through the app is easier than ever. You can even select a specific fund you want your gifts to go to so your donations make the biggest possible impact. Try it for yourself and download the app today. I was raised in a Christian home, but I gave my parents a really hard time. And so I finally decided to join the military because I wanted to do something hard and actually finish it. And it was actually towards the end of my military service when I gave my life to Christ. And having spent time in the Army, I know uh, that it can be a really spiritually dark place. They're young. They're far from family for the first time. They don't have maybe a lot of good influences. A lot of broken homes, marriages struggling, addiction, a desperate need for the gospel. There's a lot of young Marines here and they're living in the barracks. When we started this church, we knew that that was an area that God was calling us to reach, to host Marines for a Marine dinner. Once a month is where it started. To have something like a dinner that they can come to and just be themselves and sit on a couch and eat a warm meal is really impactful for them. More and more guys started coming and we baptized our first Marine last summer. And then that Marine led to another Marine and another one to the point now where every week we're seeing fruit. This church like means business. Uh, they don't, they are not okay with you just punching your church card every week. <laughs> it was obvious that this was a church that was doing church like the Bible says we should do church. I feel encouraged every time I go to church, like I wish every day was Sunday. When people give to Annie Armstrong, it enables churches like ours to reach military members and their families with the gospel. Washington, D.C. is a city with many, many nations. So to have a gospel-centered, healthy church here is reaching not only the people in this city, but cities all across the world. The military is already moving people around, and as they're moved from place to place, they can take the gospel with them. It's exactly what Jesus has called us to do, and God is changing people's lives. Well, good morning, church. It's so good to be in the house of the Lord this morning on, on this wonderful Palm Sunday. In case you, you didn't notice from the, the band's attire, they, they went floral for you to just make sure you knew it was Palm Sunday. Uh, on the other hand, Aaron, I don't know where he is. He's dressed in gator colors to let you know he loves the gators. 
but but as we gather together on this Palm Sunday, we are so glad that you're here. If you're a if you're a guest with us, if you're visiting with us this morning, we hope you'll stop in and uh, and talk to our visitors desk down front. There's just a few little pieces of information we'd like to get from you because. I just want to be honest, we, we want to reach out to you. We're probably going to call you. We're probably going to come by and visit you because we want to get to know you. And so thank you so much for being here. It's, it's on this morning as we think about Palm Sunday, as we think about the, the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, as we prepare for uh, this week of Easter, that we remember how, uh, how quickly that all changed, how quickly it went from shouts and joy for a coming king to crucify him. And even this morning as we gather, we're going to have an opportunity to, uh, to take... Ooh, I'm about to fall off the stage. Hey, John, we changed the stage this week, just to let you know. <laughs> yeah. We're going to have an opportunity to take the Lord's Supper uh, this morning <laughs> uh, as we gather together as a body and as we remember the sacrifice that Christ made for us and as we prepare for this Easter. Coming up this week, we, we're actually doing, we have a couple of things going on on Thursday. Uh, Central Baptist uh, has a, a production that they're doing that we wanted to invite you guys to. Uh, and then Friday here, we're going to be screening uh, the passion of the Christ. And so there's a lot going on this week, a lot of opportunities to gather together as a body and to remember and to think and to meditate on uh, that sacrifice as well as we're going to be doing this morning. The last couple of things I just want to tell you to make sure you know is there is a Baltimore uh, missions interest meeting in the lobby coming up. And in fact, if you guys saw the app video, there's a number of interest meetings and they're actually all listed in the app. And then I, I want you guys to do me a favor because one of the things that we've done that's going to help us know whether you're getting the information that we're sending you or not is if you would, if you've downloaded that app, would you take it out and right across the bottom there's a button and it says my pages and there's a button that says check in. Would you check in? Would you let us know? I'm not going to do it this time. Would you let us know that you're, would you let us know that you're here? Would you let us know that you're online and seeing the information that we're sending you? Because this is a great, great way for you to find out what's going on. So as we get to gather together this morning, would you stand and we're going to worship together. All right, church, blessed is the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who brings salvation. We cry Hosanna to the King of glory and light. All praises to the only giver of life. Our maker, the gates are open. Could not hold it. 
salvation, the one who is salvation. And Lord, we worship you this morning. We know there were cries of celebration, but how quickly those cries turned to crucify. And so Lord, this morning, help us to focus our hearts, focus our minds as we worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Church, you may be seated. And I would ask you to give your attention to the screen.
was a wretch I remember who I was I was lost I was blind I was running out of time Sin separated The breach was far too wide But from the far side of the chasm You had me in your sight so you made a way across the great divide Left behind heaven's throne to build it here inside There at the cross you paid the debt I owed Broke my chains, freed my soul for the first time I
church as we gather this Passion Week, we gather remembering the suffering of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And as John and others have spoken this morning, what began as a week of celebration, what began as a week where there were shouts of Hosanna, what transpired in the hours following, in the days following leads us and culminates in one of the greatest, in one way's, tragedies that has ever befallen the earth. That the Creator would give His life for the created. That those who were sinful would crucify the one who was innocent. Two very dark days in the life of history were the days that Adam sinned. And everything changed from that moment. What was taken from us in that moment was the opportunity 
to live in paradise. What was taken from us in that moment was the intimacy that we were created to have with our Father. And in that moment and on that day, sin robbed us literally of everything. And here we are thousands of years later. And just as the video began that we showed you, we come to another garden where we find the Savior, the Messiah, receiving the cup that the Father had for Him. When you look into that cup, you see the sins of the world. You see the wrath of God being poured out on the one who was innocent so that those who were sinful could live. And as we gaze upon Friday, as we gaze upon the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, there is a story that I want to share with you that comes out of that moment, that comes out of that day, that in the moment that all hope seemed lost, when we see the Christ crucified, when we see His lifeblood flowing out of Him, when we hear those words, it is finished, wrapped up in all that is happening in that moment, we find hope in hopelessness. And folks, that's the story of the Bible. From the beginning to the end, that when all hope seemed lost, when it seemed like sin had won, when it seemed like death was going to rule and death was going to reign, when it seemed like there was no way back to the Father, we have glimpses of hope. When you look at all of the prophets and all of their writings, it is so amazing because so much of what they wrote focuses on the hopelessness of man, the sinfulness of man, the brokenness of man, the fact that God is waiting to condemn us, that God is waiting right there in that moment to take them into places like Babylon, to take them into places where, where they're going to go back into slavery where they're going to lose all that they had as God's children, yet in the midst of all those chapters that look like hopelessness. Go back and look at all of the prophets. There is always a glimmer of hope, whether it comes as a remnant, whether it comes as a new heart that will be given, whether it comes as a new spirit that will be given. There's always a moment of hope, and even at this most critical juncture in all of history, all of the Old Testament looks to, uh, forward to the cross. All of the New Testament looks back to the cross. This is the defining moment in history. This is when death will be defeated. This is when sin will lose its grip. This is when the grave will be conquered. And this is where everything will be reversed from what happened in the garden so many thousands of years ago. All of history points to this moment. This is what the Apostle Paul said he wanted to give his life to. Remember that Paul said, I have come and he bid us to do the same thing, that there's one thing that matters in our life, and that is that we preach Christ and Him what? And we preach Him crucified. Let me say that again, and let me get us back to where we should be as believers in Jesus Christ. Paul said that he had one message, that there was one thing that would change the world in the midst of all that looked hopeless on Friday. Paul would come back and he would say, I am going to preach one thing, that is Christ. 
and him crucified. How could there be any hope in the cross? The cross, it wasn't thought of, it wasn't designed by the Romans, but they were the ones that perfected it. This instrument of death that was created to torture, to humiliate, to bring about the maximum pain that could be put upon a person. And in the midst of Christ's suffering upon a cross, I want you to see who else is part of this story. Because there's something amazing about the hope that is offered in the midst of the section of Scripture simply titled The Crucifixion in Luke chapter 23, verse 33. Let me read it to you. It says, when they came to the place called the skull. That's where we get the name Golgotha. It's also where we get the name Calvary. It was at Calvary, is at Golgotha, the place of the skull. There, and it simply says in Luke, he doesn't mince any words. He almost gives us no description of what occurred in that crucifixion. We had to go to other places in Scripture to figure out and to find out exactly what that crucifixion looked like if you didn't know that this crucifixion, it was where you took a man after he'd been beaten and flogged almost to death. By the time Jesus got to the cross, he was almost dead. And you carried your crossbeam all the way to the place that they would take your life. And once there, they would lay you down on top of that crossbeam and they would take the nails. And they would pierce your wrists. And they would hoist you by that crossbeam until they secured you onto the tree. And then they would take your feet, cross one heel over the other, and they would drive a third spike to secure your feet. And there you would hang many times for days until you couldn't breathe. For most, crucifixion was suffocation because it was only a matter of time before you could no longer put pressure on your heels enough to raise up to gain a breath. Your arms would grow tired and you would depend on your legs eventually when it came time that they wanted you to go ahead and die, they would just simply break your legs and then you couldn't gain a breath. And to be sure that you would perish, they would pierce your side. That's what it means when it says that they led him to the place called the skull and there they crucified him. And the criminals. One on the right and the other on the left. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And they cast lots and they divided up his garments among themselves. And the people stood by looking on. And even the rulers were sneering at him saying, 
He saved others. Let him save himself. If this is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up to him, offering him sour wine and saying, if you're the king of the Jews, then save yourself. There was also an inscription above him that said, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged there was hurling abuse at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other answered and rebuking him said, Do not you even fear God? Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation, and we are indeed suffering justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds, but this man, he has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say unto you, today you shall be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour and darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour. Because the sun was obscured and the veil of the temple was torn in two. Jesus was crying out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had happened, he began praising God and saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds who came together for this spectacle, when they observed what had happened, they began to return, they began to return beating their breasts, and all his acquaintances and the women who accompanied him from Galilee, they were standing at a distance seeing these things. And a man named Joseph who was a member of the council, in good standing, it was a good and righteous man. He had not consented to their plan and action. A man from Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who was waiting for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. And he took it down, and he wrapped it in a linen cloth, and he laid him in a tomb, cut into a rock, where no one had ever been laid. In the midst of a story like this, I don't want you to miss that when all hope seemed lost, there is hope. Do you see the thief on the cross? To me, it's one of the most amazing stories, one of the most unlikely moments in all of the Scriptures that out of this tragedy could come life that when this thief went to the cross. The Bible tells us that there were two thieves. The thieves are mentioned in all of the, the records of the Gospels. All four mention these two men. They are said to be malefactors. When you consider the word malefactor and what that means, it tells us a little bit about these men. Literally, that would have been translated villains or evildoers. That as Jesus died a criminal's death, he was dying there in and amongst two criminals that were evildoers. Literally, other translations use the word thieves, which meant they were highwaymen. They were bandits. The connotation of this verse gives us the understanding that these weren't just men who, who would go and steal something out of your windowsill or steal something out of your home while you weren't there. These were men that literally would rob you with violence. Most likely, these men, they weren't just thieves. They may well have been murderers. 
And what a dichotomy between the sinless Son of God, between two men like that. Both of these men, when they came to the cross, unconverted. Both of these men, when they came to the cross, still stubbornly in their sin. We find out in the book of Matthew what we don't find out in the book of Luke. And that is that while both of those men hung on the cross with Jesus, it wasn't just one that hurled insults as we find in the book of Luke, but we find in the book of Matthew that it was both of them. It says in Matthew that literally both of them were hurling insults along with the chief priests, along with the religious rulers, along with so many that were standing there that day hurling insults at Jesus. We find that both of those men in the beginning were hurling insults, but something changed for the thief. For one of those men, his eternity would change sometime between when he got on that cross Something that he had seen on the way to Golgotha. Something that he had seen in the moment that he hung there. Something that he had heard in this moment that looked hopeless offered to this man hope. And by the time he would draw his last breath on that cross, we would find that, you know what, hope wasn't dead. Even before the resurrection, you know what we would find? That hope is indeed alive. This man was unique. This thief, as we're going to find out today, had a unique conversion, a unique faith, a unique boldness, and a unique promise that was given to him. And this man that went to the cross, a thief, a murderer, an evildoer, a malefactor, choose whatever word that you want by the time he drew his last breath. He had a promise from the Savior that today you will be with me in paradise. So let's look at it. The unique conversion. What I find so unique about this thief is that this is a man who came to Jesus Christ. And I want you to look at the story. You can look at all four Gospels. And what you're going to find is that no one, no one preached a sermon to him. There was no evangelistic address delivered at the foot of the cross calling people to salvation. There was no prayer meeting held for this man that he might come to know salvation. No instruction, no invitation, no saving exhortation addressed to him, yet this man would become a sincere and accepted believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it begs the question, how? How in the world could this happen? How in the world could this man come to trust in Jesus Christ? How could he be converted? And I would dare say to you that as this thief was crucified, he simply saw Jesus. In all of his beauty, in all of his glory, in all of his majesty, because as he watched Jesus die, I don't want you to miss it, he saw our Savior's behavior, didn't he? 
I guarantee you this man had seen a lot of people die in his life, but he'd never seen one die like Jesus. That is, he came in contact with unmatched cruelty. He blessed. You see, Jesus gave us more than words. He gave us an example. Remember in the Sermon on the Mount that he said that you must love your enemies, right? You have to bless those who curse you. Pray for those who spitefully use you. He wasn't a man who just told us how to live. He showed us by his example what it meant to be godly. He didn't bemoan his circumstances. He trusted his life to his father, didn't he? When those women were weeping for him on the side of the road, he didn't just absorb the pity. You know what he did? He stopped and he said, don't cry for me. Cry for yourselves. What about his words? Not just our Savior's behavior, but look at our Savior's words. This thief, could you imagine while everyone else was cursing those soldiers, those other two men, listen, the cursing would get so bad during most crucifixions. We know because of Roman historians, we know because of Hebrew historians, that there is a reality that Literally, there were times when Seneca and Cicero would say that, you know what, these men would begin cursing not only those that were hurting them, not only those Roman soldiers that were killing them, but they would curse their brothers and sisters, their mothers and fathers who were there enduring it with them. It said that literally the cursing, Cicero would say, would become so bad that the Roman soldiers many times would cut out the tongue of the victim. So they didn't have to listen to all the abuse being hurled. And yet when they nailed Jesus to the cross, what were the words of Jesus? I mean, how does that not impact? How does that not make you stop for a minute and at least begin to wonder, who is this man that while he is being crucified would not curse those crucifying him, but would literally say, Father, Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I believe wholeheartedly that he heard our Savior's enemies. Because for those hours, you know what they kept hearing? Look at the statements that are made over and over in these verses. From the religious leaders, to the soldiers, to the average person, to the other thief on the cross, they kept looking at Jesus and they kept saying, if you're the king of the Jews, then what? Then save yourself. But you know what else he kept hearing? And it wasn't just on Golgotha this occurred. How many times in the Gospels did we see that people came to Jesus? Why? Because of the testimony that, you know what, this man, he saved others. And out of that came hope 
that if he can save them, maybe he can save me. How many times did people come, and if he could heal others, they saw blind see, they saw sick healed, they saw people that couldn't walk suddenly standing and dancing, and how many people heard, how many people saw that if he can save them, maybe just maybe he can save me. I believe that even in the enemy's mocking of Jesus, it probably began to resonate in his heart. All the pieces started coming together. What if he is the Christ? What if he can save others? He obviously did save others. Maybe he can save me. And I wonder as he watched his Savior's agony, or our Savior's agony, Many of you may not realize that the word that we use often in English, excruciating. I want you to look at what the middle of that word is. It comes out of the Latin, our English word. Do you see crucifixion right in the middle of excruciating? The cross was so agonizing that it became... Literally, our English word for what we use to describe the most intense pain and suffering that we endure. And we have the word excruciating. As Jesus died in agony. When we watch, and I hope that you'll come Friday to watch The Passion of the Christ... I want you to watch the videos as Jesus is portrayed in his suffering. I believe rightly so in those videos that in the midst of such excruciating pain and torture and mistreatment, it's almost like you're looking in the face of an angel. That in the midst of such hatred, you see a face that's full of love. That isn't caring for himself in the moment, but is caring for those that are around him, whether it's the women who are weeping or his mother who's sitting at his feet as he tells John that now this is your mother and mom, this is now your son. As he seeks the forgiveness of those who are literally taking his life in that moment, majesty and misery together. Sorrow, yet love, mingled together in that moment. Suffering and sacredness mingled together. And I don't believe it was lost on Jesus or anyone around him in that moment. That thief on that cross, I always wondered, did he look out? Because Golgotha was looking towards the temple. Golgotha was looking towards Jerusalem. You know what was happening in that moment. Jesus didn't die on a random moment, on a random day. It was an appointment of God that He would die on Passover because this Messiah, you know what He would be? He is our Passover Lamb. And could you imagine 
as Jesus and that thief are looking over Jerusalem, what is everybody carrying? A white, spotless lamb. That in just a few hours would be killed. Why? A sacrifice for our sin. A covering so that death wouldn't strike us. A unique conversion because of, secondly, a unique faith. Could you imagine the faith that it takes to believe And a man who is dying a criminal's death. Christ was dying a criminal's death. He placed his faith in a man, not who wasn't dying, but in a man who was dying. It is ironic that though many people saw Jesus perform many wonderful miracles throughout his lifetime, they saw, as I said, people seeing and people walking for the first time. They literally had seen the dead come back to life. Many had the wonderful opportunity to see the miracles of Jesus and they still didn't believe in him. Yet here is this man that sees Jesus punished and crucified. And in that moment, he chooses. Imagine the faith. It's in that moment that he chose to believe. He put his destiny, his eternity, into the hands of one who by all appearances was unable to even preserve his own life. But not only was Christ dying a criminal's death, which made it seem so crazy that this thief would place his faith in Christ, but Christ was dying alone. See, most of us can display our faith in a room like this where everyone else sings the same songs and shouts the same hallelujahs. And we sit in a room like this and it's easy to express our faith in Jesus Christ. But I want you to think for a moment what it took for this thief, the uniqueness of his faith, that while everybody else, the disciples, they weren't there. They were running scared. His mother broken hearted. The religious rulers of the day that we would have normally looked to and said, what do they think about this man? They were the ones saying, crucify him. They were the ones mocking him. They were the ones cursing him. And they stood there in the midst of that moment when Christ, he, he died alone. My God, my God. Why hast thou what? Do you see the uniqueness of this man's faith that in that moment, when no one else was championing Jesus, he was. Out of this man's mouth, comes Jesus is the Lord. 
No one else was confessing Christ at that moment. Revival was not taking place. There were no enthusiastic crowds. All by himself, he would confess Jesus Christ to be his Lord and Savior. Even his fellow thief was mocking the crucified Christ. Friends, do we have the faith not to stand in a room like this and confess Christ, but to go out there and confess Christ? I don't know about you, I want the faith of this man. Folks, when we say that out there all hope does indeed seem what? Who will stand in the midst of all of that and say, Jesus Christ is Lord? He is indeed King. He indeed is the Savior. He indeed can save. How many of us have the courage to stand and say, Jesus is my King? How could he have avowed such a faith when the priests and the scribes and the princes and the soldiers and the strangers were all mocking Jesus? To me, it's a unique faith because this man gave his faith to Christ in the midst of his own agony. The thief died in agony. In that moment, it wasn't that Jesus was saying, today I'll get you off the cross. Today I'll restore your life. Today I'll forgive you and I'll heal you and, and, and we're going to make everything better in this moment. Most people come to Jesus Christ because their faith is resting not on an eternity with Him, but in this present moment, what He will do for us. And without any thought for his life or what Jesus might do in that moment to save him, in the midst of his own pain and his own agony, this crucified man put his trust in a crucified Christ. To me, it's the grand achievement of faith that this man was able to turn his eye to another who is dying right there at his side and yet still entrust his soul to him. And what was amazing about this, this thief, the fourth thing that I want to share with you today, that not only did Christ die a criminal's death and Christ died alone and the thief died in agony, but this thief in that moment saw a kingdom coming. Look at what he said to Jesus. He had come to the conclusion that he indeed is a king. And that he indeed must have a kingdom. And he heard over and over that the kingdom was not of this world. So he was able to look and to see a kingdom that would come. And what would his words be to Jesus? Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, he had one request. Remember me. On what basis of merit should this man be remembered? This malefactor, this thief, this murderer, this one that the world said is worthy of death and is of no use in life. And I want you to think for a second that this man 
understood something that many of us forget moment by moment and day by day, that it is by grace that you have been saved through what? Faith. He had nothing to offer Jesus. He wouldn't be baptized. He wouldn't join a church. He wouldn't get to do one single solitary good deed except the only one that matters. He placed his faith in the one who could save him. And he depended on the grace of Jesus with simply saying, please, Jesus, remember me. Faith. And I love the unique boldness of this man. Because I believe that faith brings us boldness. I believe that when you come in contact with Jesus the Christ, you're never the same and that all you really want to do is let others know of your faith. And in that moment when everyone else was jeering, when anyone, everyone else was spitting at Jesus and mocking Jesus as he bled and died, here is a man that found a unique boldness within himself through the Spirit of God. I want you to realize what was happening in this moment, that in the moment, this boldness, he confessed Christ as Lord. You say, well, Aaron, where is it? I want you to see that in the rebuking of the thief, the other thief, I want you to see what he said. Everyone is asking, are you not the Christ? In verse 39, save yourself and us. But the other answered and rebuking him said, don't you even fear God? We're under the same sentence of condemnation. And indeed, we're suffering justly for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man, he's done what? He's done nothing wrong. And he turns to Jesus and says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus responds to that faith and says, today you will be with me in paradise. Isn't it amazing that in the midst of all the mocking voices, the one who would stand for Jesus is the criminal dying beside him? I mean, you have to ask, where were the disciples? Where was everybody else who could have stood and championed Jesus? And here is this man that is determined to stop the mocking of Jesus. And he looks to his accomplice and he says, listen, we need to stop and think for a moment we sit here today. If you want to know where his recognition of sin is, he said that today we're dying the death that we deserve. And he's looking to Jesus and says, this man has done nothing wrong. And he turns to Jesus and he says, you have, I mean, think about what he's saying you must be a king and you must have a kingdom. And when you king, enter your kingdom. Remember me. Do you see that he's yielding to the lordship of the one who's beside him? Not only was this boldness in that he confessed Christ, but he confronted sinners. And before I 
see some of you go, well, you know, good, because my job in life is to confront sinners. I want you to know that the first sinner that he confronted was himself. Folks, if we're going to share Christ with people, we have to help them recognize that we are the sinners and He is the sinless one, that we are saved because of His sacrifice. He died our death. He died in our place, but we were the ones deserving of death to share Christ with others. If we're going to find a boldness, we have to find a way to confront sinners. And let me say, confrontation is not a four-letter word. Confrontation doesn't have to always have a negative connotation to it. To confront someone means that we recognize that there is something that is wrong, something that needs to be changed. And when we love a person that we see going the wrong direction, and we know where sin leads, right? Death, destruction, hell. There should be something in us that out of love wants to lovingly confront them so that they see the true condition that they are in. And this man, he has such courage to look at his friend and say, listen, we're getting what we deserve. But you see how he puts himself in it. Remember in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus would say that be sure before you try to take the log out of your friend's eye, what do you have to do? You have to make sure that you see the speck in your own. And here is a man that he didn't say, look at you, wretched sinner. He said, look at us. Some of us in this room need to remember who we were before Jesus saved us. Have some compassion on people who were hurting and people who were struggling and people who were lost and people who don't know the truth. We need to remember that that was us before Jesus saved us. And when we confront a sinner, ought we not do it with love? And this man boldly tries to help his friend understand the truth that he now knows. And I love it because ultimately he became the champion of Christ. He confessed Christ. He confronted sin and sinners, meaning himself first. And he championed Christ. Now he would be the one who would speak when no one else spoke. Who didn't say with sarcasm, if you were the Christ, he was now declaring you are the Christ. Not if you can save others, then save yourself. Or if you've saved others, save us. Now he's looking at Jesus in full confidence. And he's saying in this moment, all that matters is that you remember me. And he champions Christ. And it leads us lastly to a unique promise. It's a promise that I wish in some ways that, that was given to us in the moment that we were saved. Isn't it interesting That Jesus goes arm in arm into paradise with a thief. <laughs> I mean, just let that sink in a second. There's something in us that wants to say, no, it's going to be John. Uh, no, it's going to be someone who's labored in the kingdom with Jesus all of those three years, it's going to be someone who has stood by him. And we're, no, no, it's going to be the best of the best who's going to walk into heaven arm in arm with Jesus. And I want you to see for a moment the gospel. 
as clear as I know how to give it to you. That it was a thief. That Jesus said to, listen, I will remember you. And today, you are going to be with me. And listen to the word, paradise. You know why that word is so important? It's only used six times throughout the Old and New Testament. Three in the Old, three in the New. It's a word that comes out of a Parisian background because the Parisians were known for, guess what? Their gardens. Remember, one of the Parisian gardens is one of the seven wonders of the world. Should our mind's eye not go back to the place that God created for us in the beginning? That's what the word paradise means. A garden, a place of refreshing. For the Jew, it had the connotation of understanding that place, that beautiful place where we find refreshment. Why? Because we're in the presence of who? We're in the presence of God. Isn't that what we all are trying to get back to? The undoing of the garden? The undoing of what sin did to us? I want you to think for a moment. Oh my goodness. The beauty of when he says, today you will be with me in paradise. It's all coming back what? Full circle. And the first one back in that garden with Jesus <laughs> is a thief. If that, don't, if that don't hit your heart, I don't know how to help you today. And you see, for us, this unique promise, it's different for us because our call for him, it was today. Right now in that moment, you're going to be with me in paradise. For us, the call is to wait, isn't it? Because everybody in this room who would say that I've professed Christ as Lord and Savior, the moment and the day that you did, you didn't go to be in his presence, did you? God has gifted you and given you more time on this earth because he has a purpose and a plan for you and for me. And I believe that this thief, he fulfilled the purpose that God had for him and that he would become one of the greatest pictures of God's grace and God's mercy and that Christ died not for the godly, he died for the ungodly. And to all of us, he says, there will be a day when you will stand in my presence in paradise. There will be a day that I will come again and receive you unto myself, right? But that day for us wasn't that day. Because his purposes and his plans are unfolding right now. And we envy the thief for that reason. We want to be pardoned and be in his presence immediately. But not only is our call to wait, our call is to witness. He doesn't invite us all to paradise immediately upon our conversion. It's because there's something for us to do on earth. And my question to you, church, is are we doing it? Are we making the most of every moment, of every day, to have the courage that this man had to stand out in the world where all hope seems lost and to show that there is hope. Jesus 
is my king. Let me tell you about him. We have a call to wait, a call to witness. And today, why have we gathered here? Because we've been given the call to worship. Why do we worship? I heard a story, and the band can come. I know they're preparing for communion this morning. There's a story that was told about a lawyer. And he took on a case pro bono of a man who was condemned to die. And it wasn't that he was innocent. It was that this man just didn't believe. and He didn't have the heart to see another man killed. And so this lawyer took on the case. And he fought and he fought and he fought to have this man sentenced turned around so that he wouldn't die of being hanged. And he exhausted everything in order to see this man not be killed. And literally, everybody said, you're a fool, he's guilty. There's no way that anything you do is going to change the outcome of his life. And sure enough, he had exhausted everything. And the day that they went to hang the man, the man was on the cart going to the field where he would be hanged. And as they began to pass the lawyer's house, the man asked that they would stop and he began to yell, my friend, my friend. And as the lawyer came to the door, here was this man that he had given everything to save. And he said, my friend, my friend, I love you. I love you. I love you. I know that you have done everything to save my life. And he sat back down. The man went inside and closed the door. And he was hung that day. You know why we worship? It's because literally what Jesus did for us. He didn't go back behind the door. And shut the door. You know what he did in that moment? He got out of the house. And he got on the cart. And he went to that field. And he hung in our place. How much more should we be able to say, Jesus, my friend. My friend, I love you. I love you. I love you. So we come and we celebrate the Lord's Supper. In each of these dishes, you will find that there's a cup. And in that cup, there's actually two cups. One has the bread and the other has the juice. We come to this moment as a body of believers who've been baptized and we remember what Jesus did on this Good Friday. Some of you sit here today and you wonder, could Jesus save me? Would Jesus pardon me? Would Jesus forgive me? Why don't you try and pray the same prayer that that man prayed that day? Remember me. 
Because for many of us in this room, that's why we celebrate. That's why we come together and we remember this Lord's Supper. His suffering, His broken body as He died on the cross. The blood that was shed so that our sins could be forgiven. We enter into a new covenant with Jesus because of what was accomplished on the cross that day. And so when we gather, He says, do this. Why? In remembrance of me. Corinthians will tell us that, you know what, we do it knowing that there's a day that he's coming back. And until then, we proclaim the name of Jesus out into a world where all seems lost. So if you're a believer in Christ, I hope that as a family you'll come, as an individual. It doesn't make a difference how you come, but that you'll come. And if you are a believer in Christ, this isn't for unbelievers. This isn't for one who hasn't put their hope and their faith in Christ. But if you have, he says, come and remember. So come and grab one of these cups and remember the words of Jesus out of Matthew. That on that evening when they were sharing the Passover together, it says that while they were eating, Jesus took some of the bread and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples. And he said, take, eat, this is my body. So come to this table. Take that bread, eat that bread, and remember what Christ has done for you. And he would go on and say, and when they had taken the cup and given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the many, or poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I want us to come this morning and to take this Lord's Supper. And I want us to remember, so take it. Pray before you take it. Ask the Lord if there's any wicked way in you. Let him shine a light into your heart and show you the sins that need to change in your life. And before you take it, spend time before him. Spend time and let him search you and know you so that you might be able to know yourself. And repent of those sins and take, take this Lord's Supper. If you don't have a right relationship with others around you, pray and commit today to make those right and take this Lord's Supper and make it right. You say, but I'm not saved today, Aaron. Listen, the greatest invitation is not to this table. The greatest invitation is to this same Savior who was dying on the cross. And today, he's waiting for you while the church takes this Lord's Supper. Why don't you come and take the salvation that has been freely offered to you? Jesus died so that you could be set free. And so I'm going to pray, and the band's going to sing. And Kevin, I know I took your time. We've got to move quicker rather than slower on this one. Normally, we have more time. But I want you to pray. I want you to pray and I want you to take the time necessary to prepare your heart for this meal. And if you don't know Christ, come and say, Pastor Aaron, I want that forgiveness. I want that freedom. And I promise you, when you in faith say, remember me, he'll say to you, one day you'll be with me in paradise. Father, we thank you for the goodness and grace of your son. We thank you for the life that we've been given. And as we take this bread and this juice, God, may you stir our hearts. 
with the word that we've heard today. Lord, may you stir our faith. Help us to remember our conversion. Help us to be bold in our witness. Lord, help us to search ourselves with the help of your spirit. Lord, show us what needs to change. And Father, if there's someone here today that doesn't know you, bring life to them. In your son Jesus, grace and forgiveness is available. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.
my faith I saw the stream thy flowing wounds supply just a moment 
Y'all come on up here. Not y'all. Y'all come on. I want to introduce you to the Evans family. Tim, how long have you guys been coming? Uh, almost a year. Almost a year now. And today, they said that the Lord has led them to be part of this church family. They're coming from Richland Creek that's over towards Wake Forest. And we're blessed to have them part of this family today. And so I want to introduce all of them. You've got Tim, Penny, Julia, Claire, Eden, Titus, and John. And all of them know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And they're seeking to be members of this church body. They are already invested. They are already attending and part of connect groups and other things and other parts of ministry here at Hepzibah on Wednesday nights, on Sundays. And we're so excited that they've come now to officially say, listen, we want to be part of this church body. And I know for a fact that you guys are going to serve, that you guys are going to absolutely be a huge part of this ministry and what God is doing here. So thank you. And church, if you would, let's stand, let's receive them. Let's welcome them into this body of believers. And this is half your family. Your family got a whole lot bigger. And uh, there's another half-second service, and we just pray that God will continue to grow you and use you. Now, you know Paul Peffley, and Paul, come on up here. You're, he's going to be your deacon, and that just means he's going to be a servant. What did I say that was funny? Matt was, oh, Matt. Matt was waiting. Hey, well, too little too late, Matt. Too little too late. you got to hustle. Paul is, is a wonderful, wonderful deacon in this body. So he's here to serve your family, to be a friend and a help in any way that he can. But not just him. Look across this room. He's just the first one you can call. But all of us are here to serve you and your family. So Paul, if you would, if you'll take them out to the foyer as you guys are exiting, welcome and greet them and let them know how excited you are for them to be part of this church body. So if you'll head out that way, does one of you need to go get purses or anything? If you do, go do that. And we'll take the rest of them and you can join them out there. And so church, God bless you. Remember next week, bring someone with you. This room needs to be wall to wall. It's Easter. Many people will come if they have an invitation. invitation so invite on the giving station. Grab some invitations. On the giving station, get them before you leave. If we don't give them out this year, they're wasted. So take them with you. God bless you. We'll see you next week and we'll celebrate Easter.
going for us. Okay, cool.
We are excited to announce an important update to our community here at Hepzibah Baptist Church. We are officially launching our new church app, which will allow us to interact and keep you in the loop. Creating your new profile is easy. In just a few steps, you can register in the app, create your profile, and customize it. Using our church name, HBC Wendell, you can connect with our church family in no time. First, enter your phone number, which will automatically sync to your current giving account. If you don't have a giving account, it will create one for you, making it simple for you to give through the app. After you've created your profile, you can customize it by uploading a profile picture and background wallpaper. You can then personalize your push notification and campus settings so you only receive the information that's most important to you. Now you are ready to engage with HBC through the app. You can fill out a connection card, catch up on a recent sermon, or even pre-check you and your kids into church on Sunday. The app content comes directly from us, your HBC staff, so you're able to stay up to date on information, dates, and events relevant to our campus and its various ministries. Now that you have a profile created, giving through the app is easier than ever. You can even select a specific fund you want your gifts to go to so your donations make the biggest possible impact. Try it for yourself and download the app today. I was raised in a Christian home, but I gave my parents a really hard time. And so I finally decided to join the military because I wanted to do something hard and actually finish it. And it was actually towards the end of my military service when I gave my life to Christ. And having spent time in the army, I know uh, that it can be a really spiritually dark place. They're young, they're far from family for the first time. They don't have maybe a lot of good influences. A lot of broken homes, marriages struggling, addiction, a desperate need for the gospel. There's a lot of young Marines here and they're living in the barracks. When we started this church, we knew that that was an area that God was calling us to reach, to host Marines for a Marine dinner once a month is where it started. To have something like a dinner that they can come to and just be themselves and sit on a couch and eat a warm meal is really impactful for them. More and more guys started coming and we baptized our first Marine last summer. And then that Marine led to another Marine and then another one to the point now where every week we're seeing fruit. This church like means business. Uh, they don't, they are not okay with you just punching your church card every week. And <laughs> it was obvious that this was a church that was doing church like the Bible says we should do church. I feel encouraged every time I go to church. Like I wish every day was Sunday. When people give to Annie Armstrong, it enables churches like ours to reach military members and their families with the gospel. Washington, D.C. is a city with many, many nations. So to have a gospel-centered, healthy church here is reaching not only the people in this city, but cities all across the world. The military is already moving people around, and as they're moved from place to place, they can take the gospel with them. It's exactly what Jesus has called us to do, and God is changing people's lives. Well, good morning, church. Thank you clapping for me about to fall off the stage again. I want, I want you to pray for me to church in the, in the first service. I, I did fall off of this, uh, and then I was just beat up by a coffee maker in the kitchen, so uh, just not, have, not having the best day with equipment. But we're so glad that you're here. 
we, we are so glad that we can be in the house of the Lord together and to be able to celebrate on this Palm Sunday. And even as we were watching that video and we're thinking about our Annie Armstrong Easter offering that's going to come up next week and we're going to have an opportunity to give, today we get a chance to just reflect on this journey to the cross, the journey that started uh, on this Palm Sunday as Christ walked into Jerusalem and was greeted with shouts, shouts of Hosanna, shouts of glory to God in the highest, and yet so quickly, so quickly that changed to shouts of crucify him. And we're going to get a chance to worship this morning as we remember his sacrifice and we take the Lord's Supper. And so we are so glad that you are here on this Palm Sunday. There is so much to remember. There is so much to celebrate together. If you're a visitor with us, we would love to get to know more about you. If you haven't yet, we'd invite you to stop by our, our visitor connection center in the lobby there in the lower level, or there's signs all over the lobby where you can, if you don't want to meet people, you can just scan a little barcode and tell us about yourself. But the trick is you're going to meet us either way, because if you give us your information, we're going to call you and we're probably going to come by and visit you because we love you. And we're glad that you are here with us this morning. I just want to tell you a couple of other quick things, uh, church, that is happening this week. If you saw the video about our app, then you probably already know because it's right there on the right there on the home screen. When you go into the app, you can see things that are happening uh, this upcoming week. And so you've seen probably already that there's a number of things happening today. There's an interest meeting for uh, those that are interested in going to Baltimore in May. It's going to be right out there in the lobby right after this service. But there's also a couple of other things on there that you might not know what they are. Uh, there, there is a service that Central Baptist is putting on a program on Thursday night. And so one of the things that we love to do is to work with our neighboring churches to try to do wonderful things around uh, the holidays and try to work together. And so we want you to know about uh, the service that Central Baptist has on Thursday. And then Friday night here, uh, we'll be screening the Passion of the Christ. And so that's all right there on the home screen of your app. And, and I want to tell you two more things because we're, st we're still trying to get everybody on this app. I want to tell you two things. One, in a minute, when we take the Lord's Supper, there's going to be an opportunity to give there on the table. But if you want to, you can actually give right on the app. There's a button right there at the bottom that allows you to give. Uh, and so we'd encourage you to do that. And the last thing, just so you can help us know how to best communicate with you. Would you consider, if you are on the app, would you consider checking into this service? You can do that by going to the little My Pages icon at the bottom, and there's a button that just says check in. It would let us know that you're here in this service right now so that we can uh, follow up with you, so that we can love on you, and so that we can care for you. Church, we're going to have a wonderful time to worship this morning. So our band is going to lead us. Would you stand and would you worship? Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. He is our salvation. He is our rock. Let's sing this church. To the King of glory and life, all praises. To the only giver of life, our maker. The gates are open wide. We worship you. Come see what love has done, amazing. He bought us with his blood, our Savior. The cross has overcome, we worship you. Are the words of 
shout Hosanna. Shout Hosanna, Jesus, Jesus, he saves. Shout Hosanna, he rose from the grave. Death could not hold him down, he's risen, so let the saints cry out, we worship you, we worship you, shout Hosanna, shout Hosanna, Jesus he saves, shout Hosanna, he rose from the grave. like some technical difficulties so church i'm going to ask you to be seated for a moment expressions of worship if you guys will come up and uh y'all pardon me just one moment we're going to go fix the issue and be back
was a wretch I remember who I was I was lost, I was blind I was running out of time Sin separated The breach was far too wide But from the far side of the chasm You had me in your sight so you made a way across the great divide Left behind heaven's throne to build it here inside And there at the cross you paid the debt I owed Broke my chains, freed my soul for the first time for
Good morning, Hepzibah. We have come to gather this week to celebrate what is known as the Passion Week. The reason it's called the Passion Week is because we remember the suffering of Jesus Christ. This is the week, as John spoke about, that began with Hosanna's. Celebrations. The people were gathering to celebrate the Passover. And by the end of the week, everything had devolved to the point that now, rather than shouts of Hosanna, blessed be the one who comes in the name of the Lord, there were nothing but shouts of crucify him. The cross of Jesus Christ is important, and I would say is probably one of the most important, pivotal moments in all of history. When we look at time, everything from the Old Testament points to the cross of Jesus Christ, and everything from the New Testament points back to the cross of Jesus Christ. We see it in the urgency of the Apostle Paul where he simply says, that we have one responsibility, and that is to preach Christ. And he didn't stop there, but he said to preach Christ what? Crucified. Because in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, we find the forgiveness of sins. In the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, we find that finally an acceptable covering has been made so that the sins of mankind could be forgiven. In that moment, death was defeated. In that moment, sins were forgiven. In that moment, everything changed. And the reality is that when we look at the story of the cross, when we consider Friday and what occurred there on Golgotha, which we'll talk about in a minute, it really looked like all hope was lost. It's not something that has changed over time when we consider the world and where we are in this world and all that is happening in this world. We still feel overwhelmed. We look around us and there are many moments in life that we feel like all hope is, is lost. When will things change? When will things be redeemed? When will things finally be like they are supposed to be? Throughout all of Scripture, we have this understanding. When you look at the prophets, they would preach. And as they would preach and as they would share God's Word, so much of the prophetic books, they were focused on the wrath of God. They were focused on the condemnation of God. They were focused on things like the people of God were going to be exiled and they were going to be out of the the land and out of the promises that God had given. And we look at so much of what they had to say, and it looked like hope was lost. But when you dig into each and every one of the prophets, what you find is that never is hope lost. Because in the midst of everything that they said, we come across verses that tell us things that you know what, there's a day coming. I mean, the very name of this church, there is a day coming when God will once again look at his people and he will call them beautiful in his sight. Or, I mean, Think about that. There's those moments in the prophetic word where literally they would say, you know what, there's a time coming 
when the Spirit of God is going to dwell inside of you, there is a time that is coming when I will take out the old heart and I will give to you a new heart. And in the midst of all what looks like lostness and hopelessness, we find that God interjects and reminds us that there is hope. And I want you to see that on that Friday, it's no different. The microcosm of all of Scripture and all that we've seen is seen again on the cross of Christ that in that darkest moment we find that God is giving us a glimpse of hope. That hope is alive not just on Sunday, but even on Friday. We find a great picture of hope. And I hope that you'll see it with me this morning. Clearly, I hope that we'll take a story that you've heard, many of you, all of your lives, and that we'll dig deeper and we'll see it in a new light and it'll transform us as we go into this holiday season, as we remember Easter and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that we also will sit here and remember Good Friday. It's good for a reason. It brings us hope, even in the midst of what looks hopeless. Let me read to you what the Word of God says out of the book of Luke in chapter 23. If you will read along with me. The Word of God says, that when they came to the place called the skull. Now the skull there in many translations is going to be translated Golgotha. Other times you're going to see it listed as Calvary. All of them mean the same thing. All of them, whether in Hebrew or Greek, all of them point to the same place, the place of the skull, the place outside of the city of Jerusalem where Jesus would be crucified, overlooking Jerusalem, overlooking the temple, overlooking all that was occurring during Passover on this hill. Jesus would become our Passover lamb. It goes on and says that when they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him in the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing, and they cast lots, dividing up his garments among themselves. And the people stood by, looking on, and the eyes of the rulers, they were sneering at him. And they were saying, he saved others, let him save himself. If this is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up to him, offering him sour wine and saying, if you're the king of the Jews, then save yourself. Now there were also, or was also an inscription above him that said, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged there was hurling abuse at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other answered and rebuking him said, Do you not even fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed are suffering justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour and darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour. Because the sun was obscured and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus crying out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. 
Now when the centurion saw what had happened, he began praising God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all of the crowds who came together for this spectacle, when they observed what had happened, began to return, beating their breasts, and all of his acquaintances and the women who accompanied him from Galilee, they were standing at a distance seeing these things. And a man named Joseph, who was a member of the council, and good or a good and righteous man, he had not consented to their plan and action. A man from Arimathea, a city of the Jews who was waiting for the kingdom of God, this man went to Pilate and he asked for the body of Jesus. And he took it down and he wrapped it in a linen cloth and laid him in a tomb cut into the rock where no one had ever lain. The crucifixion of Jesus Christ. All that the text tells us is that Jesus was simply crucified and He was crucified between two criminals. The book of Luke shares what all the other gospels share, but he shares it in a much more concise form. When you look at all four of the Gospels, all of them tell the same story. Where His is concise, they tell it in much more detail. And the reality is, we get the description of what it was that Jesus went through. Here it just says, they took Him to the place called the skull, or the place of the skull, and there they crucified Him. With no explanation, really, of what that looks like. We go, and we know from history, and we know from the Word of God, we know from the other Gospels, what Jesus Christ endured there. When we go back, we find that this Passion Week of Jesus, not only was He wrongly convicted, not only had they brought people to give false testimony against Jesus, and He was convicted of things that He had not done, but He was taken and He was beaten. He was taken and He was flogged. By the time Jesus ever got to the cross, He was virtually dead anyways. Already He had been beaten beyond recognition. The point of when you saw the whip in that video, literally that cat of nine tails had ripped His back into ribbons. That literally you could see through the flesh to the bone, he already had severe blood loss before he ever even picked up the cross. They put that thorn, the crown of thorns upon his head. They mocked him. They spit on him. They pulled out his beard. And then they took that cross beam and as the Romans had done many, many times, they did not come up with the cross. They were, the ones, they were not the ones that thought up the cross or designed the cross or came up with such an extreme kind of torture, but they were the ones that perfected it. It was meant to humiliate. It was meant to torture. It was one of the worst ways that a human being could die. And they took Jesus, and after he carried that heavy beam on his beaten back up to the hill of Golgotha with the help of Simon the Cyrene, he couldn't even carry it all the way there. Simon helped him get it there, and as he laid that beam down, they laid him on the beam, and they drove two nails, one through each of his wrists. 
And they began to raise the beam up onto the tree, hanging him there, his weight on those nails. Could you imagine? And after attaching the beam to the tree, they would take his feet, and they crossed them over, and they drove a third spike through both of his feet, securing him to the cross. What killed a man on the cross? Because it simply says, there they crucified him. What killed a man on the cross usually was suffocation simply because he had no way to breathe. In the position that he hung, while he had the energy, he could pull up with his hands, but if you could imagine the torture that that was on a body that was being hung by those nails. And when his arms could no longer lift him, he could push up with his feet. And when the Romans decided it was time for you to die, sometimes after days of hanging there, they would simply come and take a rod of iron and they would beat your legs until they broke so that you had no way to lift up and gain a breath and you simply would suffocate to death. And when they wanted to know if you were dead, they would simply take a spear and shove it into your side. That's crucifixion. A lot's missed when it simply says they took him to the place called the skull and there they crucified him. But it also goes on and says that there were two men beside him. One on each side of him. What the gospel writers tell us is that some translations use the word malefactors. These were men that, that, would, that would be defined as a villain. That would be defined as an evildoer. Other translations call them thieves. And that's probably the better understanding of what these men were and who these men were. These were men that spent their life stealing from others and not just stealing like from an open windowsill or stealing from stuff from somebody's house while they aren't there. We're talking these are strong-armed robbers. These were men that when they took from you, they took with violence. What is believed about these men is that they probably weren't just thieves, but over time, no doubt, many had probably died at their hand as they sought to steal from them. And so get the picture. The sinless Son of God sitting between two thieves. What hope could there possibly be in that image? If there was ever a moment that hope seemed lost, it had to have been in that moment. But as we look at one of the thieves, I want you to see this week with me that one of these men, he went to the cross, a wretched sinner. He went to the cross completely condemned. He was getting what he deserved. He and the other thief. But there is something unique about one of those men that screams the gospel to us, that reminds us that in the midst of hopelessness, in the midst of a story where, where it looks like all hope is lost, because of Jesus in the midst of that story, one of these men will go to the cross a sinner, but he will die a saint. And it begs the question, what in the world could have happened? In between those moments that could have caused that. Today we're going to see that one of these men 
had a unique conversion. He had a unique faith. He had a unique boldness. And he was given a unique promise. And as we explore it today, I hope that it will change the way that we see that Friday, that we see that moment on the cross, that in the midst of Christ's misery, in the midst of what is the most... I mean, think about it. There's two moments in history. That are the darkest moments. Two days that are the darkest days in the history of humanity. One was thousands of years before this. When Adam and Eve were in the garden and they had everything. They had a relationship with God. They had every blessing and everything that you could have ever imagined. They lived in the perfect garden, didn't they? And what made it so beautiful was the presence of God who would walk with them in the cool of the day. And sin entered in. One of the most horrific moments in all of history. When man rebelled against God. When man determined he would be God. And what God never intended for us to know. Death. Sin. Suddenly rushed in. Not just into their lives. But into all of history. And all that we see today that breaks our hearts. That causes us to suffer. That takes away our hope. All of it is a result of what happened in that garden. But on this day... Even something just as tragic would occur. We would take the Creator and crucify Him. The only one who was ever righteous. We would kill Him on a cross. And I don't know that anything can seem more hopeless than those two stories. And yet we enter in the thief. I want you to see his unique conversion. The reason I say that his conversion was unique because I want you to see in this story that here is a man who is going to be saved. When we say conversion, we're talking a man, about a man who goes from death to life. A man who goes from being lost to found. A man whose eternity is going to be changed. And I want you to see that it's interesting because there was not one message given or preached to this man. There was no evangelistic rally or campaign where an invitation would be offered to him to come and to receive Jesus Christ. We have no story, no understanding of, of someone that was there that was perhaps praying for this thief to be saved. No instruction, no invitation. No exhortation addressed to him, yet this man would become a sincere and accepted believer in Jesus Christ. How in the world could he possibly have been converted? I think when you look at the text, you see it. Especially when you look at all four of the gospel text surrounding the time that this man had with Jesus. You see, he got to see the Word of God. He didn't just read about it on paper like we do. But he got to see it lived out. I believe that he saw, first and foremost, our Savior's behavior. He walked with Jesus down that road with that cross. And do you think it made a difference that he saw a man that was unlike any other man that he had ever seen die? He had seen probably multiple crucifixions. He was enduring the crucifixion himself. And while everybody else 
was cursing, while everybody else was yelling and screaming, while everybody else was blaming someone else, what we find is that here is Jesus, and he's carrying his cross, and he is silent. And the times that he speaks, it's when he comes upon women who are crying for him, and he stops and he says, don't cry for me. Cry for yourselves and for your children in the midst of this wicked generation. While he stood being accused, he gave no defense of himself. You see, what I believe is that as Jesus carried this cross on his way to Golgotha, there was something so unlike anything this man had ever seen. He was practicing what he was preaching in the Sermon on the Mount. Remember when Jesus would say that you must what? Love your who? Love your enemies. He was watching it being lived out. When Jesus would say, bless those who were what? Cursing you. He would see that lived out because it wasn't only in his behavior that they saw Jesus, but they heard the words of Jesus. His behavior, they heard our Savior's words. Could you imagine that this man was sitting there and as they were being crucified, as they were yelling out in pain, they were yelling out curses. It was said that almost every man who was ever crucified, they would curse so badly not just the leaders, not just the Romans, not just the Jews maybe under whom they had been condemned, but they would literally curse their own parents, their own siblings, their own birth as they were sitting there dying. Cicero would go on and say that many times during the crucifixions, the Romans would literally cut the tongues out of those being crucified so that they would stop cursing. And now the thief is sitting beside this man whose name is Jesus. And as they are nailing him to the cross, what is Jesus saying? Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. It was his behavior. It was the words of Jesus, I believe, that was preaching the message that helped this man understand what it meant to be saved and brought him to the point of conversion. I believe it was also probably even the Savior's enemies. As Jesus was being crucified, what was the text that we just read? Most of it that we read, it was moments where people are saying to Jesus, You're the Christ. This man would have understood what that meant, that this is the Messiah, that they are saying that he has claimed to be the one sent from God to save people. Remember, this was the Passover. As they looked out over Jerusalem, as Christ was being crucified, hanging on the cross, he's looking out at the temple. He's looking out at all the roads coming in. This has become a spectacle. And all these people entering into Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, guess what each and every one of them were carrying? Every family had a lamb. A white, 
spotless lamb that was going to be a remembrance of when God saved his people from death. And all of the people that day, all they could say was, if you're the Christ, if you're the Christ, if you're the Christ, at some point I believe wholeheartedly that this man began to wonder, is there any way that this guy is exactly who he says he is? Exactly who they are saying that he is. And while everybody else was around this man jeering at Jesus, and, 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 and they, it says they were sneering at him, it says that they were cursing him, it says that they kept saying, you know what? Jesus, you've saved others. Why don't you save yourself? Why don't you save us? I want you to go back into the New Testament. How many people came to Jesus because the faith that they had was based on one thing, that others had said, Jesus saved me. Jesus healed me. There were people that came to be healed with faith based on one thing. I've heard of this Jesus, and I've heard that he heals. I've heard that he saves. And you know what? If he can do it for them, maybe, just maybe, he will do it for me. And I wonder how many of those words resonated with that thief on the cross. At some point, I believe he got to the place where he said, you know what? He did heal. He did give sight to blind people. He did give speech to people that had never spoken. In fact, this man, it is well known and well documented that he brought people from death to life. And at some point, I wonder how many of those words that were meant to make people hopeless, to make Jesus feel hopeless actually became the spark that gave hope to this man that you know what if he is the Christ and he has done it for others what about me and not just his behavior and his words and his enemies but even his agony no man had endured death probably the way that he had seen it and folks I want you to know that when we talk about agony, literally in our English word, we have this, or English language, we have this word that we use, excruciating, right? When we think about the worst pain possible, we say that it's what? It's excruciating. Take off the E-X and the I-N-G on the end, and you've got a word there that's going to look very similar. Literally, the middle of the word where we get our English word excruciating, crucifixion. In the Latin of the cross that literally in our English language we describe the worst pain and the worst agony that people feel. We say it's excruciating. It literally is talking about the cross of Jesus Christ. And as he watched Jesus in this excruciating pain, I want you to think about what he saw. That in the midst of all the hatred that was happening in that moment on that day, he looked into the face of Jesus, and I believe wholeheartedly that in that agony, he still saw love. That somehow majesty and misery were intermingled in that moment. That suffering and sacredness 
were found together and he looked upon this one who was suffering in this agony. And you can't help but wonder, did he realize that this indeed is the lamb that is going to take away the sins of the world? He was converted because of the second thing that we're going to talk about, that he had a unique faith. He had a unique faith. And the reason I say that it's unique is I want you to think about how difficult it would have been in this moment at this time to believe and to set your eternity on the hopes of Jesus. Because as he looked at Jesus in this moment, when he cried out to him, when he said, remember me, I want you to realize that in that moment, Jesus was dying a criminal's death. To me, it is very ironic that there were so many people that were alive that may have even been witnessing the crucifixion that they had seen Jesus work miracles. That many had seen Him give sight to, uh, uh, to blind people. That many had seen those that had never walked walk again. And, and maybe they even knew of Lazarus who was dead and brought back to life by the very words of Jesus. And there were people, the religious leaders themselves, you know when they decided, we're going to kill Jesus? It was literally at the resurrection of Lazarus. That was the moment in the midst of one of the greatest miracles that could ever occur. They denied Jesus. Think about that for a moment. Many had seen the miracles and chosen not to believe. This guy sees Jesus in agony. In all of his suffering. And in that moment, as he's dying a criminal's death, he believes on him. He put his eternal destiny into the hands of a person who was by all appearances unable even to preserve his own life. You want to talk about faith. And not only did he have faith while Christ was dying a criminal's death, but I want you to think about the uniqueness of his faith is that he was watching this Jesus die alone. This man, all alone, he comes out and he calls Jesus his Lord. No one else in that moment, on that day, is calling Jesus Lord. No one is celebrating Jesus in that moment. You've got the women who are mourning. You've got the disciples who have run off. You've got the religious leaders who hate Jesus and are mocking Jesus. You've got the Roman soldiers who are torturing Jesus. There is no one championing Jesus. There's no one preaching Jesus. Jesus is dying all alone. Even the fellow thief, the other thief, is mocking the crucifixion of Jesus. There's no revival taking place. There's no enthusiastic crowds who are championing Jesus. And yet this man... I I just hope you can see it. This man, all alone, in the midst of all of that, has the courage to say, I believe Jesus is Lord. Do we have that kind of courage? 
Because listen, go outside these walls and sometimes even inside these walls and people's lives, it looks like all hope is lost and the world is waiting for someone to champion Jesus, someone to have the courage and the boldness to champion Jesus, to stand even when all hope is lost and say, my hope is in him. He's my king. Would you avow such a faith when the religious leaders and the scribes are denying it? When princes and soldiers and strangers are mocking Jesus? They're deriding Him? And another component of this faith that this thief had was that he himself was dying in agony. You see, most of us, we want to come to Jesus in our moments of struggle Believing and wanting Him to help us to fix our problems and to get us out of situations. And we come to Jesus and we beg and plead for Him to lighten our affliction, for Him to make our life better, to save our marriage, to do whatever it is that we want Him to do. We rarely are thinking, I am a sinner in need of a Savior and I want to walk with you. I want to know you. I want to love you. Our faith is conditional on what Jesus is going to do for us. And here is a man that Jesus offers nothing to. except I will remember you. Not I'll get you off the cross. Not I'll spare you your life. Not I'll save me, then I'll save you, and the angels will free us all and we'll kill the Romans. That wasn't at all what this man was offered. A faith that even in the midst of such agony clings and holds to the belief that this Jesus is King and He is Lord and He will remember me. It's really an incredible picture. A crucified thief trusting a crucified Christ. <laughs> How in the world did he get at a place where he could forget his present torture and foresee the future? For indeed, that's what he did because the thief died in agony, but the thief saw a kingdom that was coming. To me, it's one of the most remarkable parts of this story because this man turns to Jesus. And he says, Jesus, and this is where he said that he's Lord. I mean, we're going to talk about in a minute that he confesses Jesus as Lord. That's indeed what he did because he believed that Jesus was a king and he believed that Jesus had a kingdom. And he says to Jesus, when you enter into your kingdom, do you see the faith there? You see the belief there? He said one thing, I just want you to remember me. What courage it must have took for a thief, a murderer. To ask the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the Messiah, remember me. And I want you to think for a moment, what did he have to offer Jesus? You want a picture of the gospel. You want to see how far God's love reaches. If anyone is sitting here today saying, God can't love me, look at this man. He had nothing Nothing to offer Jesus. And all he could say was, remember me. He wouldn't be baptized. He wouldn't become a member of a church. He wouldn't do one single 
good act outside of his faith in Jesus. You know what he was counting on? You know what he came to understand? Grace. Grace. God's grace. Grace that will pardon, right? And cleanse. You see, never forget that we are saved. If you've never heard this, listen to me this morning. We are saved by grace. Through faith, grace means we don't merit it. It's not because we deserve it. In this moment on the cross, we see hope shining through that even a murderous thief can find salvation in Jesus Christ when he puts all of his hope in Christ. Nothing to offer. All he could do was fall at the feet of a king and say, have mercy on my soul. Give me this gift that I do not deserve and I certainly have not earned. And he looked and he realized that, you know what? It's not this life that counts. There's one that's coming. And Jesus says to him, today you will be with me where? In paradise. It gives to this thief a third thing, a unique boldness. A boldness where now, where no one was championing Christ, now there's a thief who's championing him. There's one who confessed Christ as Lord. That's what he basically is saying to him. He's calling him Lord when he says, I believe you're a king and I believe you have a kingdom and I believe you have power in it. He believed that by being remembered by Jesus, that would be advantageous. That would save his soul. He believed that Jesus would remember him in spite of all of his sinfulness. And while everybody either was silent or snarling at Jesus, the most unlikely voice boldly proclaims that he's Lord and puts all of his hope in him. He went one step further and not only did he confessed Jesus as Lord, but I love what he did. He confronted sinners. <laughs> Think about that for a second. Now, the first sinner he confronted was who? The first one you should always confront. Who? Himself. Because as this faith was coming alive in him, he looks at his friend on the other cross, the thief who is just as lost as he was. And I want you to see that when this thief started the day and he went to the cross, what the, one of the four Gospels, Matthew, tells us is that both of them were jeering Jesus. Both of them were mocking Jesus. This man, when the day began, he wasn't Jesus' champion. He was literally joining the crowds and ridiculing Jesus. But something happened. And now he looks back to his friend and he says, What are you doing? Have you not realized yet? Who this man is, have you not realized yet that you and I 
are sitting before God and our life is about to be over. Don't you realize that if we stand before God, we will stand condemned. But this man, he is offering hope. And listen, this man is innocent. This man has done nothing wrong, he says. But look at me and look at you. We are getting exactly what we deserve. Do you see that he recognizes his need? Do you see the repentance in his voice that not only does he recognize who he has become and that he's getting what he deserves, but he's trusting Christ to show grace and to mercy, and he's trying to help his friend understand. You need to stop mocking and you need to start believing. How does that make you feel as a believer about your boldness? Are we really bold in our witness? If we were in that moment, when we had to stand alone by ourselves with not another single living soul, would we still champion Jesus? Because this man had an extraordinary, unique boldness. And ultimately, that's exactly what he did. He confessed Christ as Lord. He confronted sinners starting with himself. He realized that there's a plank in my eye and I have to get rid of I mean, listen, or, I mean, you get what he's saying, right? He didn't go for the speck and the other thief. He said, listen, I'm where you are. I've done what you've done. He started with himself. Church, we would do well to remember who we were when we didn't have Christ. We would be a lot more sympathetic and a lot more compassionate towards sinners if we remembered what it's like to be in darkness, what it is like to be blind. And now he champions Christ. And it leads us to a unique promise. He asks of Jesus, will you remember me? And what does Jesus say? In essence, he says, yes, I will. And when? Today. In just a moment, you will be with me in paradise. There's a part of me that's envious about this thief because there's something unique about his story that in that moment that he died in that moment. And I believe that that was his purpose. That was the very reason that he was created. Like when Jesus looked at the man born blind, people were asking, why was this man born blind? Is it his parents? Is it his sin? What caused all this? And Jesus looked and he said, listen, he was born this way because in this moment he's going to bring me glory. I think the thief is no different. That Jesus it's about to make a statement because if any of us thought, who would get to walk into heaven's gates? Who would get to enter into paradise with the Savior, hand in hand? Who would be the one out of all of humanity that Jesus would say, no, no, today you will be with me in paradise. You know the least likely one? The murderous thief. Could you imagine the angels' faces? Coming to understand it all. Even him. God, it's crazy. It's crazy. 
It's foolishness to the human mind. But to those who have the Spirit, it makes us worship Jesus. Today, you will be with me in paradise. You know what they understood? Paradise is used six times in all of the Scripture. Three in the Old Testament, three in the New Testament. Paradise, it's, it's a Parisian word that was assimilated into the Semitic or the Jewish Hebrew language. And when they heard paradise, it's really amazing. It really is. They thought of a garden. Because that's what it meant. One of the greatest seven wonders of the world is a Parisian garden. Known for its beauty. Known for its refreshing quality, right? And when you think about that picture, how can you not help but go back to where? The Garden of Eden. Where it all began. What God intended. And it's as if God was saying to this man, listen, all that's been undone is about to be redone. What's been wrong, I'm about to make right. And today, 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 the veil is ripped. There's no more separation between God and man, right? And for the first time in how long would man, would man be able to walk with God? That's the beauty of Today, you will be with me. Where? In paradise. It's why I believe that at the end, everybody asks, what's heaven going to be like? I believe. Go back to whatever God fully intended in the beginning, in the garden. I believe it's all coming back. I believe that's exactly what the new earth will look like, what it will be, what he intended from the beginning. He has promised us that today, you, sinner, can walk with me again. Where? In paradise. Let me ask you a question. In that moment, in that thirst, in that agony, in that suffering, and all that, that, I mean, could you imagine that with his eyes of faith, what it meant to that thief to realize that I'm going to close my eyes and all this is going to go away and all that's going to be awaiting me? Is their concept of paradise, that garden? But you see, it's a unique call because for most of us, that's not our call. He doesn't save most of us and say, today you will be with me in paradise. What does he say? To us, he says, I have a mission for you. This one is a trophy of grace. This one will forever be remembered as how far God's love will go, how far his forgiveness will reach. This will be the one that will walk with me into paradise. But for all of us, he says, you know what? Your calling is to wait. Why? Because we get to declare the good news. There are days that I wish that when Jesus saved me, he would have took me. But you know what? There are many who don't know the truth. There are still people who need someone to go out into all of hopelessness and stand, whether anyone else stands with us, and champion Jesus Christ. And let the world know that there is forgiveness, that there is freedom, that there is life in Jesus Christ. He didn't give us a place in paradise that same day. 
We've not yet come to the rest that He promised to every believer. No, in fact, we are waiting here. And some of us have been waiting a long time. But there's a reason, because He had a unique promise. Our call is to wait. Our call is also to witness. We have the Great Commission. We have the call to not go with me to paradise today. Our call is to go into all the nations proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. Do you know what a privilege it is to take the message of the King? Our calling is to be ambassadors in a world that needs hope. The question, my brothers and sisters, is are we doing it? And lastly, I want you to see with me as the band comes back up, we also have our call to worship. When you think about his first companion in heaven being a thief <laughs> and the implications of that for us today, there's no one outside of his reach. There's no one whom he cannot forgive and transform their life. There's no one who can't be an ambassador for Christ if they will just let Christ make them a new creation. If you will find that faith to believe in the same Jesus, think of the implications. If God can save him at that 11th hour, what about you? And you see, all of this brings us to a crescendo of worship. If you don't want to worship at the end of a, a text like this, I don't know what to do to bring your heart alive. We get to celebrate the Lord's Supper, the breaking of His body that occurred on Calvary. We get to remember through the juice that represents His shed blood that covers our sin, that forgives us of our sin, that brings us into a new covenant of grace with God, we get to celebrate and remember as we take this Lord's Supper. And I, I want you to understand the depth of what Jesus did and why we worship as we look at this wonderful story that occurred in the most tragic of circumstances. Because what happened that day on Golgotha? Here it is. I read a story about a lawyer who took on the case of a man who was already condemned. The crimes that he had committed were crimes that the law said were worthy of his death, but this lawyer felt pity and compassion for this man, and he began to work for this man without any cost to this man. He didn't know him. He just had pity and compassion on him, and he did everything that he could without taking a dime to see this man saved. And when he had exhausted everything that could be done for this man... They loaded the man up onto a cart and they began to take him out into the country where he was going to be hanged. And as they got to the lawyer's house, it said that that man asked the gentleman leading the cart to stop and the man stood up and he cried out, My friend, my friend! And as the lawyer came to the door, all the man could say was, I love you, 
I love you. I love you. I know you couldn't save my life, but thank you for loving me enough to try. The guard told him to sit down, and he did. And the cart began to roll on, and all the lawyer could do was close the door and go back inside. That's not our story. Because that day on that cross, when that man said, my friend, my friend, my Lord, the one who came to the door was Jesus. The one who stood there And who would be his advocate? You see, when the cart kept going, he didn't go back inside and close the door. You know what he did? When he cried out, my friend, he went and he got on the cart with him. And he went to that place of death. And our advocate, he died in our place. Let me ask you a question. How much more, how much more should we declare in a moment like this, I love you. I love you. I love you, Jesus. Do you see the beauty of remember me? Do you see how much we have to celebrate and what we get to remember? I want to invite all of the believers in this room. If you know Christ as Lord and Savior, if you're a baptized believer, I invite you to come to this table in a moment. You may come individually. You may come as a family. You may come as a circle of friends. But I want you to come to this table. And in each of these plates, there is a cup. There's actually two cups in one. And the bottom is the bread and the top is the juice. And I want you to find a place somewhere in this room and you can pray together or you can pray individually, but I want you to pray. I want you to thank Jesus for the sacrifice. I want you to say to him, I love you. I love you. I love you, Jesus. Remember his broken body that was broken for you. The blood that was shed and that, that juice, what it represents, it was shed for you, for me. I want you to pray before you take it and ask God to shine a light in your heart. Is there any wicked way in me that I need to turn from? Any sin that has entangled me? Lord Jesus, you died so I can be free. Free me in this moment. I want to live for you. Pray that. Think, let him shine his light. Think about how you're living. Think about your relationship with others. If he can restore you to himself, you can be restored to others. Before you take these things, ask God to do just that. To help your heart heal from broken relationships and make them right as soon as you leave this place and take this communion. And you say, but you know what, Aaron? I'm here and I'm not a believer. Listen, the greatest invitation is still for you, not this table. It is come to the king. 
Let Jesus save you from your sin today. Cry out to Jesus. Pray and ask Him to remember you. Recognize and tell Him, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. I need to change. I need you to help me change and be the man or woman you created me to be. Jesus, meet me here in this place and I'm giving you my life. You be Lord of my life. I will follow you. I believe that what you did on the cross... You died in my place. My death so I could be free. Pray and ask Jesus. Repent, believe, confess, surrender to Jesus today. And the angels will rejoice at that decision. That is the greatest invitation I can offer to you today. So don't wait and don't worry about what's happening here. You just get right with Jesus. And let him save your soul today. Be baptized. Live for Jesus Christ. So as I pray, and you come to these tables in a moment, hopefully husbands, fathers, you'll lead out and your families if you're gathered. Take that bread and remember his broken body. Take that juice and remember his spilled blood for you. And he's coming again. And from now to then, what do we do? We proclaim his death. We proclaim his resurrection because there is a hopelessness that needs someone to speak hope into it. Be bold, believer. Father, we thank you for your love and your mercy, your grace. We thank you for stories like this that transform our hearts and lives. And Lord, if there's someone here that has never cried out to you for salvation, today may they do that. It would be the greatest thing that would happen today, period, anywhere in the world that someone would surrender their life to you. And Father, if they do, give them the courage to just come forward while everyone else is at the tables, that they would come forward and say, Aaron, I've given my life to Christ. I want to be baptized. Lord, give them a boldness and a courage like this man had. We may not know his name, but Lord, he tells our story. And Lord, we are grateful that just as he entered paradise, one day we will because of our faith and our hope in you. So as we remember the body and the blood, Lord, speak to us. Change us forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
the mountain I could not climb In desperation I turned to heaven And spoke your name into the night And through the darkness Your loving kindness Tore through the shadows of my soul The work is finished The end is written Jesus Christ, my living
chaplet wide open the king of ages will come again his wounds of suffering display his victory we'll bow it all to the great I am then with the
is like the Lord? Who can stop the Lord? And Jesus, it's in your power, it's in your strength, and with your name on our lips that we leave this place. We come back next Sunday with resurrection in our hearts and on our lips. We cry out in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, take some Easter cards, share them, have a great week. We'll see you later this week. Oh, and if you want some grapes, take some grapes. They're real. <laughs>